So today we're talking about God, which is appropriate because we are at church, but the truth is is that often on Sunday mornings here, we talk about all sorts of things about God. We talk about God's character, Uh, We talk about what it is to live as God's people. Sometimes we talk about living in justice or loving each other better, forgiving each other, any number of things um, that are impacted because of our belief in God. Um, But today is a little bit different. Um, Today we're talking about the places where we find God, which you just heard in that song. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of think about all these different things we talk about and reel it into the very center, the very core of where it all starts. The core question that matters today as we think about it is, is there a God? Because if there isn't a God, it definitely changes what the rest of the conversation is like. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, uh, I do believe in a God, otherwise why would I be wasting my time here with you, right? Or you're sitting there watching us online, why would I be sitting on my couch in pajamas jealous watching you? Uh, maybe that's true, maybe we could assume that anybody hearing my voice right now probably does believe that there is a God. Um, but I think we, we all could also admit that there's seasons There's situations in our lives where we wonder if we got it all wrong because we don't feel like God is real or alive or invested in us. You know, we ask ourselves, um, you know, is have have I made a huge mistake in believing this? And I'll tell you, I've thought that before. I've thought, did I accidentally commit my life and whole career to something that's wrong? And I recognize saying that as one of your pastors could be a little bit alarming to you, but I do it to help give all of us permission to be able to admit that yes, there have been times where we all doubt God's existence. I once heard a story about a little girl named Agnes, and and from the time she was a little girl, Agnes believed in God. And she felt a special closeness to Jesus. And she felt like God was calling her to follow him and to do it in ways that he would use her in big ways. She knew that Jesus was with her. Um, She had an undeniable sense of his calling on her life. And so when she left home, when she grew up and left home, she became a missionary and she committed everything to God. And then God left her or at least that's how it felt to her. And she wondered, where is my faith? And this is what she wrote. Deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. That was what was going on inside of her, but on the outside, she continued to work and to serve, and she just kept smiling. She opted to trust Jesus and live as if she didn't doubt and walk by faith, even though she really struggled to feel it. And year after year, she experienced what felt more like the absence of God more than his presence. And this is how it was for her for almost 50 years, except for one little window where where it felt like she was close to them, and it was painful, and it was hard. And maybe, maybe you've never heard of Agnes before, but, 
but my guess is that you probably have. Because when Agnes became a nun, she changed her name to Teresa. This is the testimony of Mother Teresa. So for those of us that question or doubt or just don't feel like God is how we want him to be or close to us the way we want him to be, today's service is for you. It is a chance for you to look outward as well as to look inward as we explore this question, is there a God? I remember when I was little, I was trying to make sense of that question. I have shared before that I did not grow up in a family of faith, but my mom sent me to a Christian school. And so as a six-year-old, it was the first time I remember ever hearing about God. And I was trying to make sense of who God was. Now, I had heard about Mother Nature. So I went into this little school having learned about Mother Nature, and then I heard about God the Father. And so the theology that happened in my little mind was, I guess, Mother Nature married God the Father and they had Jesus. That was, that was my earliest theology. Uh, and as I dug into this question this week, I found that I, I was not then and still am not the only kid trying to make sense of the existence of God. I came across some letters that kids have written to God. Here's a few we wanna share with you. This one's from Brandon. God, um, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. How do you do it? There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. <laughs> Or this next one, this one, she just cuts straight to it. This one's Lucy, I think. Oh, May, dear God, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? Like, she's just like, <laughs> lay it out for me, God. But this one is by far my favorite. This one, I think this one is Lucy. Is this one Lucy? We think. Come on, come on, Lucy. Where are you? I'll read it to you. Dear God, oh no, this is Jackson. I don't know who Lucy is. I'm making up somebody named Lucy. <laughs> Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for me and my brother. <laughs> this one's my favorite because he's like, would not kill each other so much. Like, I, <laughs> how much were they killing each other, right? And of course, these are from kids, and so they seem silly, and it's easy to laugh at, and they seem superficial, a little simplistic, but that desire in us to know God is certainly something that we can relate to, no matter how old we are. And if we're really honest, wondering if there even is a God and never feeling like we get solid answers to that can really leave us with a nagging doubt about whether or not he even exists. It's pretty likely that in one way or another, all of us here in this room, all of us online, have tried to make sense of the existence of God. And it's no wonder that we think about it because we, are, we have the idea of God all around us. Take, for example, I won't make you give it to me, but does anybody have actual cash on them right now? Like, who still has cash on their person? Okay, so we all are familiar with cash, even though some of us aren't using it much anymore, but we know that on our cash, it says what? In God, we trust. It's there all the time in our hands in front of us, and we barely notice it, but it's there. Or think about saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe some of us haven't done that since we were young, but we all know the Pledge of Allegiance, and in the Pledge of Allegiance, we say what? One nation under God. Under God. That's right. It is there. The notion of God is there. Almost 90% of Americans say that they do believe in some kind of God. 
And, and over half of those say that they believe in the God of the Bible. So I think it's safe for us to agree that almost everyone thinks about God, and according to this statistic, almost everyone believes in some kind of God. And even for those that don't, my hunch is there's still some kind of a notion of God in their life, and we think about it, at least from time to time. If you were with us last week, you know that we're doing this series in conjunction with a few hundred other churches here in the Bay Area called Explore God, where every week for seven weeks, we're asking big questions. And our hope in that time is not to convince you, not to give you airtight answers, but to have a place where we can explore these really important questions together. And and today's question is no different. There's no easy, short, definitive answer to that, but it certainly deserves our consideration. And like I said, today's question is, is there a God? So if 90% of Americans believe in God, that means that one out of 10 might say that they don't believe in any power, any higher power of any kind. Um, And sometimes, sometimes those people might say that because they believe that someone who is educated or intellectual certainly cannot also believe in the existence of God. And yet... Um, We have a lot of history's most influential thinkers and highly esteemed thinkers who absolutely believe in the existence of God. We don't have time for too many, but let me just tell you about two. Um, Albert Einstein, one of the most recognized and revered scientists of the 20th century, says this, everyone who is seriously committed to the cultivation of science becomes convinced that in all the laws of the universe is manifest a spirit vastly superior to man and to which we, with our powers, must feel humble. For him, science reveals a spirit vastly superior to man. Another one probably not quite as well-known is a guy named Francis Collins. He is a geneticist. Uh, He discovered genes associated with a a number of different diseases, and he led the Human Genome Project. He's the director of National Institute of Health. And this is how he describes his journey, not just believing in God, but in the God of the Bible. I want you to watch this. Well, in the home where I grew up, Uh, Faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, My father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith 
was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history, and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings, and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. I shared, I share that with you to simply say that you do not have to check your brain at the door. You do not have to um, set aside intellectual thought to believe in the existence of God. Now we could certainly spend the rest of our time talking about smart people and what they have to say about the existence of God and we could talk about whether those arguments work or not work, but at the end of the day, any argument for God, no matter where it's based, you know what it requires is some degree of faith. Any argument of God requires a degree of faith because see, we, we humans, we're not robots, we're not computers, we're, we're actually quite the opposite. We have strong emotions and we have intuition and we are relational, we are highly sophisticated and complex creatures. And so our answer to is there a God cannot just be intellectual, it has to also be experiential. We have to take into account what our actual experience has been when we think about whether or not we believe that God is real. And here's the truth. You have been evaluating your belief in God through your experience for a long time, whether you've noticed it or not. I mean, for some of you, maybe God felt so real to you at one point and then something happened, something that devastated you or hurt you. 
And now you feel like God is, is like a distant relative living on the other side of the planet. Maybe you uh, were part of a church and experienced um, really getting hurt by that. Someone in the church, someone in your small group, someone even on staff, and you would think, why would I want to believe in a God if that's what his people are like? Or maybe on a larger scale, you've seen every version of God's people that seems to be narrow-minded and petty and arrogant, and again, you think, why would I wanna have anything to do with a God like that? And so all these things, we evaluate our experiences to decide what we believe about God. But here's the truth, my guess is that you also have experiences that are pointing you toward God. Experiences where you notice something and have a sense of awe and wonder that makes you feel aligned with God. These are the different experiences that maybe point us toward God or make us question God. But as we think about those kind of experiences that seem to point us toward God, I want us to think about those as signposts, signposts. They don't necessarily make an airtight case for the existence of God, but they point to God. And I believe that these signposts exist to, to nudge us in the direction of something bigger than ourselves. So for example, one signpost of something that might point us in the direction of God is our experience of beauty. Something really powerful and significant happens in us when we experience beauty. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar and theologian, and he writes this. We must acknowledge that beauty, whether in the natural order or within human creation, is sometimes so powerful that it evokes our very deepest feelings of awe, wonder, gratitude, and reverence. I think we've all experienced that in this world. When we've taken enough of a pause away from our screens, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to, be noticed, to notice and to be struck with awe at beauty around us. The way something really simple, even like a sunset, imagine a sunset, the way that it can captivate you and help you feel peaceful and, and joyful and help the, the, the chaotic things in your life kind of simmer down. Right? Many people think that when they experience beauty like that, it's, it's a pointing to a divine creator who created an ordered, beautiful, good world. In Psalms, one of the poetry books in the Bible, the writer talks about this, and this is what it says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. David was someone who resonated with beauty. And specifically, David is talking about how the earth's beauty, it says something about God. I wanna show you this picture of Crosswinds. This is one of our barns. And the woman, Sandy, who took this assures me there was no filter on this. So I just want you to imagine and feel for a second as you look at that and you imagine yourself looking at that in real life, what feeling does that evoke in you? What sense of a, a leading toward the divine do you experience when you see that? David talks about how beauty resonates with our souls because beauty is the voice of God. Beauty 
points to God. It's a voice for who God is. I'm gonna read a couple more verses that David writes, but instead of putting the verses up, I'm gonna instead put some pictures up to have you sort of be able to feel that a little bit. Now, these are just some pictures that I took of Scotland on my phone. So you have to recognize that, you know, pictures never quite get it. But I just want you to try to be in the moment of these pictures as I read from Psalm 19. Again, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they, for, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Is there something in you that's moved by beauty? The, the psalmist is saying, it's not just that when we are around beauty or in beauty and experience it, it's paying attention to what happens in us when we do. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're not a nature person. You know, you don't like the beach, you hate sunsets, you're allergic to grass, whatever it is, I get that, I get that, but certainly there's still something in creation that moves you. I mean, maybe you're more of a science person. My undergrad is in biology, so I love the body. I'm so fascinated by it. I'm one of those weirdos that like when I have to go give blood, I like to watch it come out because it's so cool that it was just inside there. Now I'm looking at it with my eyes. Anyone else, does anyone else do that? Yeah, I mean, there's a few weirdos in here. You're in a safe place. Okay, so for those of you that maybe creation is, or you know, nature is not your vibe and you're more of a science person. I brought you this picture. This picture, um, does anybody know what this is? This is a retina inside your eye. Your retina is all these cells that come together and they, they sense the light and they signal to the brain so that you can see. This is inside your eye. Specifically, this is inside my eye because I had to go to the ophthalmologist a couple weeks ago <laughs> and I took a picture of this because I was like, this is so cool. This is, I can't see that. It's in there. One, somebody who's an optometrist came up to me after the Grove and they were like, I see you have some floaters. And I'm like, yes, that's why, that's why I had to go to the ophthalmologist. But here's the truth, whether you would describe beauty as a sunset or a river or inside my eye, beauty calls us out of ourselves to something bigger. It resonates with us in a deep way. And for many, it brings an awareness of the divine. And in that way, beauty can be a signpost to the existence of God. There's a second signpost I wanna talk about for a moment, and it is our longing for justice. You don't have to be very far away from a playground to hear some kid shout out, it's not fair. And that is because our souls, our humanity longs for things to be fair and just and right. We long for this world to be made right. And when it isn't, because it isn't, we feel it. We know that injustice disrupts what this world was meant to be. And when our soul encounters that, it knows that this is not okay. Even in these attacks on Israel this past weekend, so many people killed, others kidnapped. We long for justice. 
Here in Alameda County, there's so many families where at least one child um, does not have their own bed. They sleep on the floor or maybe permanently on the couch. And a few years back, a guy in our church, Daniel, he became aware of these families. And, and he himself, having grown up pretty poor, something stirred in him to help set things right. So back then, we partnered with him and we, we converted one of our barns in the back to be a workshop where they could build beds. And so now that is the home of the Alameda County Sleep in Heavenly Peace chapter. And so now, on a regular basis, Daniel and his team of volunteers, they get to build these beds and deliver them. This one, he was telling me that sometimes the reason they don't have a bed is because they don't have a room. That one on the left, you can see they put it up in the kitchen because that's where there was room. And look at those kiddos. Because all this was happening and, and Daniel felt the injustice. He knew that things were not to be this way. This was not fair. Something needed to be done. And that longing is what set him to action because he felt that God, a God of justice, was calling him to do something about it. And I'm sure that you can think of a time in your life where you experienced or saw injustice and you know that it did not feel right. C.S. Lewis says this, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way and they cannot get rid of it. He believed that there was a moral structure that all civilizations understand. They all know that it's not good to lie to a friend. It's not good to betray your family. It goes against moral virtue. And what he concludes is that moral virtue in us points to a God as the source of morality, a God who cares about justice. In one of the Old Testament books, one of the prophets, Micah, talks about this. And what was happening in, in God's people at that time is they had set up systems that allowed the rich to get richer and the poor to get more poor. And so Micah speaks up against this on behalf of God, and he says this in Micah 6, 12. Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. He goes on in this chapter to say, look, you're really good at the sacrifices and following the rules, but you know what you're not good at is reflecting God's justice in your life of making place for equity to happen. And then he says this, this is what God really wants from you. This might be a verse familiar to some of you, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This text is providing a description of a God who is just, who is calling us to live in that justice too. And so when we see and experience injustice, it rubs us wrong because we were made to exist with moral virtue. And so Micah here in this is, is almost pleading the people to please uphold justice and mercy because that's what God does. Now, some of you may be thinking, and fairly, Christians have been known to do their fair share of horrible acts in this world. And that is unfortunately very true because we all have the capacity for great evil, no matter what we believe. But that thing in us that knows the difference between good and evil is the very mark of God on us. When our souls 
resonate with justice or are appalled by injustice, it can be a way that we are being pointed to a God of justice. So justice is another signpost. And then our last signpost that we can be paying attention to that points us to God is our desire for relationship. So we all long to be in meaningful and healthy and loving relationships. And even when relationships are difficult and we swear them off because they're just too much work, at the end of the day when we are struggling, what do we want? We want someone to be with us in it that that matters, that we have a sense of togetherness. And that desire for relationship, it points us to God. And maybe you've experienced something like that. Maybe at the birth of a child or, or at a wedding of people that you love or, or simply sitting around a table with people that are in your life that you don't have to talk about all the surfacey stuff, that you can talk about the real things. Isn't there something that resonates in your soul when you have those kinds of relationships. It is the longing for togetherness that speaks to a God who desires relationship with us. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's saying that following Christ means togetherness. It must include actions toward one another, loving actions where I, I give you love and you receive it and you give me love and I receive it and we carry the burdens with each other. Several years ago, I came across this verse and it was a Bible that had like illustrations. And so I found this illustration and it's kind of, you know, rudimentary, but I love what it shows where each person is helping the person in front of them carry their load while someone behind them is helping carry theirs. And I feel like that is such a beautiful picture of what it is to be in loving relationship with each other, the way that our souls were designed to be. And this all makes sense because if you think about it, Jesus himself was, of course, the ultimate picture of the one that carried our burden, our burden of sin, our burden of spiritual death. And that's why it says, when you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. When we do relationship like this, it points us to a loving, relational God. Whether you believe in God or not, Chances are we all have these moments that, that resonate so deeply with us, beauty, justice, relationships. And, and we see these things lived out, or better, we, we experience them for ourselves. And there's something in our gut that knows this is significant. This is something I should pay attention to. For you, maybe you were in the middle of beauty and you just felt it. Or like we've said, you experienced injustice and you know that it didn't sit right with you. Or maybe you are in just a, a loving, supportive relationship and you know that it feeds your soul. And those responses in us are our soul aligning with God. So when it comes to thinking about if God is real, we can't only think about it intellectually, we have to also think about our experience, that thing that connects us to something divine, something holy, something other. We've gotta notice those feelings and while they can't always be explained, it doesn't make them any less real. 
It's a little bit like this. As we close, I wanna give you one more kind of visual to take with you. Um, in music, those of you that know anything about music, you know there's treble clef and bass clef. And treble represents the notes that are higher and usually are the melody and the ones that you mostly pay attention to. And bass clef is more about these deeper notes that sit underneath it. And the thing about the bass notes is you don't hear them as much as you feel them. You know what I'm saying? Um, in our house, I don't know about you, but we have like the place I sit on the couch and the place Chris sits on the couch. And so one side has the Andrea-shaped dent and the other one has the Chris-shaped dent. And the thing is in front of the Andrea-shaped dent, behind it is what Chris has told me is called the subwoofer. And often when we're watching a movie and it's really loud, I can feel the couch vibrating. And I say, can we turn it down? And he says, no, it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> because the deep clef notes, the bass notes are what you feel. The same way that we feel God. So I have asked Hunter and Nancy and Cameron to come out. And as we close, they're gonna play some music for you. And, and you have heard of it before. It will be familiar to you. So I want you to enjoy it. But mainly what I want you to do at first is listen to the bass and pay attention to how you feel it in your soul. we have the things that get our attention. And sometimes they work really well in conjunction with what we feel of God, what resonates with us as we sense our spirit aligning with God. But sometimes things get distracting and our busyness and our schedules and social media and entertainment and advertisements all grab our attention and make all of our focus be there and it makes it much harder to feel, to feel God trying to reach you, to feel God trying to speak to you, to let him get a hold of your soul in a way where he can resonate with you and he can say, I'm here. I'm in the midst of all the flurry and all the noise. See, the thing is, as we Think about if God exists, it's not just learning about God. God is someone that we experience and that we feel. And so this week, as you continue thinking about this question, here's what I want to invite you to do. We talked last week about a prayer that we could all pray. And it is about if God is real, then will you be real to me? And this week, I wanna ask you to keep praying that prayer. We're gonna put it up here. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. But here's what I want you to add. I want you to be paying attention to the places where beauty resonates with you, where injustice sits wrong with you, 
and where relationships, the longing for relationships comes out in you. And at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, when you pray this prayer, I want you to think about those moments that you've had where something pointed you to God. And then just talk about God. Talk about that with God. Have a conversation with Him as you seek. I know some of you here in this room may not believe in God. And so thank you for being here. I wanna ask you to consider paying attention this week to how beauty or justice or relationships resonate with you and how that might be a way God is pointing you to himself. And for the rest of us who do believe, like we said, sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we're looking for something more than an intellectual understanding, but we wanna feel God. And I believe that he wants us to feel him too. So pay attention to those this week. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that you have made us to resonate with you. Show us yourself this week and we will look for you and we will feel you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.